This Breaking Views podcast is sponsored by Refinitiv. The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Rogers News. Welcome to The Exchange. I'm Rob Cox, your host, the editor of Reuters Breaking Views in New York. Every May, John Taylor convenes a gathering of economists, academics, policymakers to the Hoover Institution at Stanford University to discuss, what else? Monetary policy. John is perhaps the leading proponent, arguing that central banks need to adopt what's known as a rules-based strategy in determining interest rates. John actually wrote the abiding equation on the matter. The so-called Taylor Rule, named for him, obviously, suggests that the Fed should raise rates when inflation is above target or when GDP growth is too high and above potential. As you can imagine, many of the speakers and panelists come to debate and, in many cases, praise the Taylor Rule at the conference that John himself hosts and chairs. But this year's meeting brought in surprisingly diverse views from across the whole spectrum of monetary policy nerddom. One intriguing discussion effectively made the case for negative interest rates. That's something the Europeans and the Japanese have used to combat low growth and deflation, but America hasn't quite put into action. And it's certainly not the sort of thing you'd expect to hear from hard money monetarists like Taylor and some of his crew. Hovering over the whole discussion, of course, is the independence of the Fed. The folks at John's conference disagree about a lot of things. But President Donald Trump's many criticisms of Chairman Jay Powell and of the central bank's rate rises over the past year, not to mention an unsuccessful attempt to put a couple of political cronies on the board, seems to have bound them closer together on the need for a resilient and independent Federal Reserve. For all this and more, give a listen to my chat with John Taylor, the George P. Schultz Senior Fellow in Economics at Stanford University's Hoover Institution. So, John, thank you very much for having me out at the Hoover Institution at Stanford last week for your monetary policy conference. I've, I've been to a few of these now. And um, while a lot of it, I will say, goes over my head, not having a PhD in economics, um, I'm, I see you at the very front sort of absorbing all of the discussions. And I'd love to just get your sense of sort of what you learned from the many colleagues you had um, come in and speak on Friday. Well, thanks for coming. It, uh, I think it, it the kind of conference which we've tried to have before where we get diverse views, views that may not be at the Federal Reserve conferences normally. And so here we had people thinking about alternative ways to conduct monetary policy. Ken Rogoff, for example, and Andy Levin talking about how we could change policy in the future to deal with the zero bound. We, uh, of course, had quite a representation from the Federal Open Market Committee itself, began with Rich Clarity, who I think tried to uh, combine as much as is feasible and possible the rules-based approach to policy and actual decisions as part of the, the, the whole thing about uh, data dependence. And so I think throughout the day we did have an emphasis on strategies or rules from, from Rich at the beginning uh, to Volcker Wieland at the end. And, it, and it, it was commented on quite a bit. So it seems to me that was what we were trying to do, and we're getting some to that. The analysis of the Fed's reports now, which contain analysis of rules and strategies. So that was a big part of the theme, and I think virtually everybody commented on that uh, in, in a generally favorable direction, that it's good to have a strategy. The world is different now with the so-called zero bound and the low R star. Um, and, we, of course, we tried to make it as uh, general purpose as possible. Uh, 
economics and monetary policy does get technical, that's for sure. So there were a few equations, yeah. but um, I think that's how the Fed staff and many commentators work anyway. Yeah, I don't, I don't, th- I would never suggest you dumb it down for people like me, for sure. It's it's quite amazing to see the the you know to see people who um, could easily be characterized in the in the simplistic way, view of a dove or a hawk, actually going at each other with their R star, their N stars, and their and their equations. Yeah. Well, you know, it's an interesting question about doves and hawks. That uh, terminology has been discussed a lot, and, and to some extent it's really more strategies-based versus not strategies-based, rules-based versus not rules-based. I think that's kind of the, the difference that you're seeing that's coming out in, in more recently. So, you know, doves or hawks depends on the timing, depends on the events, but uh, whether you're following a strategy or not, uh, is is really time invariant. So right, I think that's right. an important. Decision. I mean, you're you're obviously very well known for uh, your work on rules a rules based approach to monetary policy. Of course, during the crisis of the you know ten years ago, policymakers didn't seem very interested in following rules and uh, and and argued for greater discretion in sort of handling of economic affairs. Um, that obvi- arguably led to uh, lots of experimentation. We saw quantitative easing, negative rates, things like that. Do you sense a shift? Towards more sort of rules-based or strategy-based policy is is underway, not just in in theory, but I mean in practice at the at the at the Federal Reserve and perhaps other central banks. Well, we're seeing a lot of that, and I think part of it is the analysis that before the terrible crisis, the global financial crisis, there was kind of a deviation from from rules that were working pretty well in in, in much of the. 90s, certainly, and into the 80s, and uh, seemed to be this period in 2003, 4, and 5, and it was discussed that the, the rate was, was lower than most uh, rules or strategies would suggest, and that led to search for yield and the housing crisis, which slumped. So I think that's part of the reason there's the return to rules if possible. And then, and then there is evidence for that. Uh, you have had sections of the semi-annual monetary report now, has been four since they started doing this differently, where there is explicit discussion of rules or strategies and how to follow them and, and why they're useful and how the Fed can use them. So it's in print uh, quite explicitly. Some of the web pages mm-hmm. they're putting out do that. The Jay Powell, the chair, has referred positively to this, uh, that it helps him. Uh, you have John Williams now in New York, who's done much research. Rich Claret are the same. Randy Quarles has been quite sympathetic. He's the vice chair for supervision. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, there's this, been this general normalization uh, over the last uh, couple years or so, which really tries to describe the reasons as much as possible. Of course, it's hard. Uh, for the uh, changes in interest rates and changes in the in the balances right. of the Fed. I mean, what, what is your analysis, or the Taylor rule, as it were? What would it suggest the Fed run funds rate should be today? The uh, it depends, of course, on what you put in. The main question that's being addressed is what the equilibrium uh, interest rate is. The Jay Powell and others refer that to R star. And there's discussions about what it is. I think it's probably close to three, but some argue maybe it's two and a half. It's not rocket science. 
If it were three, it suggests we need to begin to move up, continually move up uh, a little bit more. And it's really a continuation of what has happened in the last couple of years. The rate was low by historical standards, and um, there was really questions about that. And so the Fed, as part of its normalization, has, has moved, I think, substantially in that direction. And now the question is where they're going. There's, as you know, some discussions of uh, pausing on this. Uh, there's discussions at the Fed, as far as I know, in the FOMC about it. But um, again, it's uh, any rule, it's important as to have a strategy or a rule. There's discussions about how, what goes into that, natural right. discussions. But as long as the discussion is in the context of a strategy or rule, it's fine. It's, where, it's really where disagreements come about. So if we're if you if it three percent is a bit above the two and a half to what is it three two and a half percent two and two and a quarter two and a half percent the Fed's at, at today, so I mean it's not that far off I guess I it, given given that it I guess the the Fed got there in a completely different more circuitous um, um, way than than a rules based or strategy based approach would would have suggested. Well, that's not completely clear. Um... There's, uh, of course, during this period is when they've had appointments that are uh, philosophically attuned to this approach. You've had the writings in the in the semiannual reports and quite a bit of discussion. I think it's uh, it's not the first thing that's reported. Of course, it's the report is what the dots are or what mm-hmm. the most decision is or what this member that member says, but. If you look at it carefully, you see this. And I think you, one way to think about it, Rob, is you go back to the, um, say, the 90s when the Fed was, with Greenspan, was moving towards this. We had very good performance in the economy, so-called long boom or great moderation, it was called. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and there was, Greenspan gave speeches about it. There was Janet Yellen spoke about it a lot. She was on the board at that time. It doesn't mean that they follow this mathematically, it's for sure. It's never meant to be mathematical, but it's meant to be a philosophy that can be communicated well to the market so there's fewer surprises. Uh, You're not reacting to everything under the sun. You're reacting to the important things. So I think that is a change, and and I do think they got off it around whatever, 2003, 4, and 5, and it was hard to get back, and mm-hmm. uh, we are gradually getting so back. Of course, given your view on rates needing to you know, potentially be a bit higher, I dare say President Donald Trump may be relieved that uh, he didn't choose you, ultimately, to run the Fed? Well, it's a, um, a good question about uh, what the characteristics of Fed share and other members are. I think the extent that there's a attempt to describe a strategy its best mm-hmm. and it's hard to do that sometimes you know this the the english language is is not translated exactly or different philosophies about how you do that but i would say that the to the extent that markets understand the fed the extent that the fed is helpful to the economy and, and after all the economy has improved uh, actually quite substantially since these changes that I mentioned, since mm-hmm. normalization has begun, the you know, growth rate, uh, most recent quarters, 3-2, it's steadily increased in the last couple of years. So I don't think it's a complete coincidence that that improvement in the economy has occurred as monetary policy has normalized. 
Yeah. Of course, there's differences of opinion about how fast that should occur and when it occurs. Yeah. I mean, w- one thing I did pick up, and you know, I've come a f- couple years to, to your conference, um, there has always been a, a strongly held and unanimous view that the Fed's independence is uh, sort of sacrosanct, um, and also something that, that uh, policy decisions could jeopardize. I think that's, that's always been clear. Um, but I, I get a sense, you know, this is the first time we've that you've you've had convened the the group as it were um, since uh, Donald Trump has been quite you know critical of Chairman Powell um, on you know sort of very clear about wanting lower rates. I got a sense that actually you know whatever you even the the people who might disagree on on um, how to get to and star or whatever it might be at, at at the conference certainly seemed almost a bit more bound together by. Um, by some of the, what's been coming out of the, the political dynamic? Well, I think it's okay to have discussion about policy. It's, uh, that's fine. It's, it's quite a bit more, as you say, uh, recently. And there's uh, differences of opinion. But I think that to the extent, and this conference I think has helped, it, in the most recent uh, last Friday has helped, the extent that people can explain why this system works pretty well. Again, and, and I have been quite positive about the tax uh, reform in December 2017, the regulatory reforms, including the financial regulatory reforms that have occurred. Those are all positive to the economy. But I think you also think it's the monetary policy is important in normalizing how it occurs. And there's always differences of opinion, and, and, and there will be. But again, the more that that can take place in the context of what is the strategy, what is the, what is the goal, what's happening, I think the, the inflation targets have been positive about that. And globally, too, it's been, there's been changes. And actually, I, as I mentioned global, this is really a, a financial system that extends globally. And there's the European Central Bank, the Bank of Japan, so all those, those actions are related. And I think the world economy would be better if we move to how it worked well in the, in the 90s, and we'll have stronger growth as a result. Yeah, globally. it's tough. And you mentioned the European Central Bank. Uh, there will be a change at the at the head of that after the European Parliament elections. Um, you know, I'm based in Paris, and certainly there's lots of uh, speculation and sort of uh, you know, about who might be the next uh, leader there. The one thing that everyone seems to come to a view on quickly is, well, you know, they don't really have a lot of tools at their disposal. You're already at, you know, negative or zero rates. Uh, you know, there's, they've already done QE or, I mean, it's the idea that they have that who would want that job because uh, on a downturn hits, they've got no firepower. What do you think about that view? Well, it's of course a difficult job. I, I'm of the opinion that they should try to normalize their rates, that it's not been that helpful. I think it is related to the Fed's decisions. Um, exchange rates factor in. You can you can trace the decisions on so-called quantitative easing, the purchases of securities on a large scale. It really began with the Fed. Bank of Japan followed. The ECB followed after that. You can you can look at the rationale. Frequently, the exchange rate is mentioned. I don't think it's a good idea to focus on the exchange rate. It's better to focus on the performance of the economy internally. But I think as the Fed has uh, gotten more cl- closer to normal, and they may think they're already there, but whatever, that does affect the decision. So you, you see, you already saw some decisions in Europe about uh, 
re- reducing the quantitative easing, and some dis- it actually happened, and some discussions in Japan. Mm. So those are related to this. I think it'd be better if they begin to move, and it will depend on who they decide to be the the next uh, president. But um, I, I think it's always always difficult. Yeah. In a way, the economies are doing well. The challenge is to keep them from you know not doing well, and there's always ups and downs. But um, I think again, we have so much experience about what kind of monetary policy works well, and I think if they get closer to that, the economy will will, will do better. Yeah, the Bank of England also will be looking for a new a new uh, boss in the next year. You um, any interest in the job? <laughs> well, it's interesting they took a Canadian uh, with Mark Carney, but. Um, I'm doing fine here in California. No, indeed. Um, so just in going back to the Fed, when I think about the board, the president put forward uh, two uh, candidates or you know, almost put forward two candidates, uh, Stephen Moore and Herman Cain. And there was a wide view that this was a politicization of the Fed board. Um, but stepping aside, whether that I mean, interested in your view on that, but but it, it does seem to me that you do want to have a Federal Reserve Board of Governors that represents diverse opinions, diverse views, going back to, to you know, your point about um, uh, the need for having robust discussions about the inputs. And, um, you know, what, what is it, I mean, what do you think it takes to get, the, what's the best candidate for the Fed board? Well, I think it is, it is a good to have people with different experiences and different backgrounds. Uh, Michelle Bowman is a community banker. She joined the board recently and is contributing. She, she spoke at the, she was at the conference and, yep. and spoke a bit. And so there's also people like Rich Clarida who have had uh, experience in the in the private sector at PIMCO, but also academics and uh, John Williams, quite a bit of experience within the Fed. So those are even there, three different uh, experience factors. And of course, the the presidents of the of the regional banks, uh, district banks, also provide that diversity. So I think it's important uh, to have that. I. Uh, I think the same with the staff. It's important to have people that know the markets. Probably the most important thing uh, these days, because the markets are an important part of uh, the impact of policy. And so you do that by having um, you know people that are chosen and have experience and have these factors, and they're vetted properly. Uh, the whole appointments process is unfortunately slowed down in Washington. Um, I think that's too bad. It's important to have the the appointment process and the confirmation process working. So it's, it's sort of part of the whole issue, it seems to me, at the Fed. And they've got five people. They should have seven. Should have seven, right. I'm not sure when that's going to occur. Yeah. I mean, I guess the, 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 the danger of having too many people with this, of the same background is that you, you create a groupthink there. Yeah. I agree with that. I agree with that, and uh, you you have the world changes, and there are certain things, you know, financial crisis is different than we don't have a financial crisis, and some things are very basic. It requires, uh, when I worked at the Treasury not that many years ago, we had to put in a new financial system in Iraq, and that required just starting from scratch, and so you had to go back to the basics on, and so the the models and the equations were not much use. And so there is always going to be situations like that. Uh, regulation is another issue. And, uh, and so you, I think you need to have different viewpoints. And in a way, the, the important thing is to have the viewpoints 
which um, uh, speak their mind, if you like. So they're, you're not in, ingrained and not become groupthink, as you put it. And uh, so, so that's part of getting good people. Well, you certainly had, you know, a kind of interesting uh, points of view brought forward in in the in the at the, po- at the policy conference. You, I think, as you mentioned, Ken Rogoff led a debate on sort of like a, a, a debate on how negative interest rate policy or as an instrument of policy could be or should be coming to the United States, for instance. What did you make of that? Well, yeah, the, the, right. There was uh, we wanted we wanted to have a good, robust discussion of this issue. The one of the things that the Fed's review this year is is looking into is what is the impact of this so-called lower bound or zero bound, and what you do to prepare for that. There were other approaches. Uh, you know, for example, Williams. Uh, and, and described a way in which, when the when it got close to zero, the Fed would indicate it would stay zero for longer. It's an idea that uh, Williams has been working on Reichschneider for for a long time, and mm-hmm. they tried a bit of that, but it could be done better. I think that's one of the things that is maybe most promising as you stick with a rule or strategy for the instruments of policy, but you indicate in as credible way as possible how that will be affected. And the simplest way is if you do get close to zero, then you say you'll be lower for longer. And that, that's a common uh, description. The, the more fundamental way to do it is you actually go into negative territory. And of course, that's been uh, tried in Europe and Japan. There's mixed views about its impact. Uh, it has to pass through to the rest of the financial system. That doesn't pass through completely. So part of what uh, what what Ken Rogoff was discussing is you need to have the system uh, resilient enough to deal with this. And again, even he was talking about many years before this could occur, not not two years or three years. Yeah, but I think more it's like something like ten or something. Yeah, yeah. The other panel I thought was interesting was on the interaction of markets and policy, and that had, that seemed to bring out some pretty strong views. Some people who think, you know, that the Fed policymakers shouldn't even be really, I mean, well, a real question about how much they should be looking for any direction from the, uh, from the markets. What did you think of, of that discussion? I think that was an excellent session. Um, you had uh, Laurie Hodrick, I think, expressing the view quite clearly that it would be best if the Fed says what it's doing and the market digests that as much as possible rather than the Fed go and try to trying to move the the stock market or particular markets. And so she outlined that based on basic finance theory. She has experience in academia and in the private sector. And so made that quite clear with the model. And I think Scott um, Minard also emphasized that mm-hmm. in a different way. And Charlie Plosser right. uh, talked a bit about that, as, as did Mickey Levy. So that was a very, very important part of the meeting. And of course, you had an all-star policymaker panel at the end of the whole thing with a handful of the regional Fed presidents and even members of the Federal Open Market Committee. The panel of the four members of the FOMC, I think, was quite uh, helpful in terms of what they're looking for. And Loretta Mester, in particular, talked about how a strategy or rule helps and, and I think made that case quite well. I think it was, that's the, that's the important thing. You need to have mm-hmm. this interaction between the policymakers and the 
academics and the people in the market, and of course yourself, the press, uh, analyze what's going on. Yeah, well, it was great to be there and really great to chat with you today, John. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Rob. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to The Exchange. This podcast was produced by Freddie Joyner. If you haven't already, please sign up on iTunes and anywhere else you satisfy your audio cravings for The Exchange, The Views Room, and other Reuters podcasts. You can also check us out at BreakingViews.com and on Twitter at BreakingViews and at Rob1Cox. Thanks for tuning in and adios.